This is the Morning Rush. That's a great way to start the show. Let me tell you something. Sometimes I don't even know how I managed to survive through the day in this building. I I swear. I don't know how I managed to keep it together. Because let me tell you something. There is nothing worse than getting ready to do a show. You start the open, just like you heard right there. I plug in my headphones in the main headphone jack And I hear absolutely nothing. (laughs) I mean, are you kidding me? Is it too much to ask to go through a day with nothing going wrong? I don't know. Is it? Somebody answer that question for me. Here I am at 6.03 and 31 seconds. On a Tuesday morning, and my blood pressure is already going through the roof. Like, nobody should be this angry this early in the morning. Is it too much to ask to get through a show without something just good? And it's usually technical. So, <laughs> and you know what? I, I guess it's shame on me. I guess it's shame on me. For not thinking ahead and checking everything before every, you know, because that's what you need to do. Check everything every day to make sure it's functioning properly. Because at any given moment, that's the kind of stuff that could happen. That's what you have to do. Every day. Check it every day. The point is, you shouldn't have to check it every day. But here in the palatial WCMD studio, you have to. Because as the opening's playing, I'm scrambling, trying to find another headphone jack to plug in my cans, which is what we call them in the business, the headphones, so I I can actually hear what's going on. Something you may not know about radio, okay? When the microphone is off, you can hear the station on what we call the monitors, the speakers. There are two big speakers here in the studio, okay? So when the microphone is off, you can hear everything through the speakers. When the microphone is on, it cuts the sound to the speakers because what you don't want is feedback. You don't want my voice coming through the mic and then coming out of the speakers, and then back into the mic again. That's where you get that reverb, that feedback. So when the mic's on, the external sound is cut off. That's why you need the headphones. Because if you don't have the headphones, and the mic's on, you can't hear anything. It's a great way to start the morning. It's a wonderful, super way to start the morning. Anyway, welcome to the show. Aren't you happy you tuned in to hear me go off because something else doesn't work? Anyway, uh, we are open for business once again. 
I am Tony C. I am back in the big chair. I am angry. But that's my problem, I suppose. Hopefully, I'll be able to chill out at some point in the next two hours so we can do some serious sports jawboning here on the Morning Rush on the all-new WCMD with some of the old problems. We are indeed live from the palatial WCMD studio high atop Industrial Boulevard, at least 10 feet up, on the south side of the Queen City Baby. Coming up on today's show, aside from my irritations, had some NBA hoops action last night. The Nets making a major statement against the Bucks. We had a couple games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Could the Canadiens complete the sweep of the Jets and move on to the Stan- what they're calling now the Stanley Cup semifinals? We had zero Major League Baseball action last night. So, very light night. I think there were three games total in Major League Baseball last night. The Pirates, Nats, and O's were all off. But we'll talk about them anyway. And the Ravens were very busy. A lot of Ravens news today to talk about. So all that and more coming up in the next two hours of the Morning Rush. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? Hopefully you're better than I am. So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune. See, I'm starting to get, starting to settle, starting to come back down a little bit, starting to settle in, a little calm. And see, what makes matters worse is that I'm the only one here. Like, I look around the studio and I see four empty chairs and it's just me. So when something goes wrong, I got to fix it. I got to try to fix it while at the same time do a show. Which just, you know, jacks up the blood pressure a little bit more. But I'm coming back down now. Anyway, so glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out on this wonderful, beautiful uh, Tuesday morning. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Check out our Twitter pages, at WCMD Morning Rush. My Twitter page, at Rush Tony C. A Facebook page, at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, get involved, drop me a line, a message, whatever. Got a question, got a comment, opinion. It's all right there. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Phone line works. I know I checked it. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials just for you. You missed anything, go back and check it out at your convenience. All right, let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. 
And we start with college football, where West Virginia landed another commit for the class of 2022 in lineman Maurice Hamilton. Hamilton is a three-star prospect, according to rivals, at 6'4", 340 pounds. His nickname at Cleveland Heights High School in Ohio is Mr. Pancake. He also holds offers from Iowa State, Marshall, Purdue, and Kent State, among others. In the NFL, the Ravens and running back Gus the Bus Edwards, I still don't like that nickname. It's a ripoff. There's only one bus, and his name was Jerome Bettis. I get it. It rhymes with Gus, but they got to come up with something new. I'm sorry. Gus Edwards agreed to a contract extension yesterday. The deal is for two years and uh, $10 bucks, which means the Ravens now have Edwards and J.K. Dobbins signed through the 2023 season. Edwards was set to become a free agent at the end of this coming season. He is one of just two players in NFL history to rush for at least 700 yards and average at least five yards a carry in the first three years of his career. Cleveland's Nick Chubb, the only other player to do that. In high school baseball, Brady Whitaker tossed a two-hit shutout as Frankfurt blanked Berkeley Springs 1-0 to win the AA Region 1 Section 2 Championship yesterday in short gap. Whitaker struck out seven and walked three. Tyler White drove home the only run of the game for FHS. On the Maryland side, Bryce Snyder took a no-hitter into the sixth inning as Mountain Ridge beat Fort Hill 6-0 in the 1A West Region quarterfinals. Snyder allowed just one hit, struck out seven, and walked one. The Miners only had seven hits, but scored five runs on four wild pitches and an error. They have a semifinal date at Northern tomorrow. In high school softball, Kaiser beat Grafton 9-1 to win the AA Region 1 Section 2 title. Golden Tornado now 27-3 on the year. And in Major League Baseball, the Pirates, Orioles, and Nationals were all off yesterday, as I mentioned. Uh, Buccos open a three-game series tonight at home against the Dodgers. That should go well. JT Brubaker gets the start for the Bucks. He'll go opposite Walker Bueller. Orioles are also at home. They will host the Mets for a two-game set. Bruce Zimmerman takes the mound for Baltimore. And the Nationals kick off a two-game series with the Rays in Tampa. John Lester versus Tyler Glasnow, of course, catch that game right here on this very station with pregame beginning at 640. And uh, Glasnow, quick note, has been really good this season in case you don't know. 4-2 record a 2.69 ERA, which is really good, right? 2.69 ERA, anything under three is good. 2.69, that's 17th best in all of baseball. Seven, there are 16 pitchers with an ERA better than 2.69, which is amazing. Uh, his 106 strikeouts, second most in the bigs, and his uh, 0.92 whip is 11th in Major League Baseball. So tough task facing the Nationals tonight as they take on Glasnow and the red-hot Tampa Bay Rays.
And they have been red hot. They've been one of the hottest teams in baseball uh, as of late. First place in the AL East. They overtook, overtook. They overtook, is that right? Overtaken, they overtook the Red Sox, whatever. They're a half game ahead of uh, Boston. Tampa 7-3 in their last 10. Boston, by the way, 7-3 in their last 10. For whatever it's worth. Nationals uh, still sitting in the... Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I, I take it back. I spoke too soon. I was premature in my judgment. Nationals no longer in last place. In the NL East, that distinction now belongs to the Marlins. The Nats, a half game ahead of Miami uh, for last place. Nats still seven games behind the Mets. So the Orioles could actually help the Met or the Nats by beating the Mets in this upcoming series in Baltimore. And of course, Pirates are still in last place. 12 games under 500, nine and a half out of first. Whatever. Although they are five and five in their last 10. They are playing a half decent baseball. I will give them that. Key Brian Hayes coming back, Colin Moran coming off the IL. Brian Reynolds is playing pretty good. Adam Frazier is playing really well. And I, I said this when the season started, or before the season started, as we kind of previewed the season. The Pirates would not be as bad as people thought. Before the season started, Vegas had the Pirates with the lowest win total, projected win total in all of baseball. It was like 59. Or 69. I can't remember what it was. But it was awful. And I said, no, they're going to be bad, but they're not going to be that bad. There will be a team that will finish with fewer wins than Pittsburgh. Because the Orioles still exist. (laughs) Baltimore has 21 wins. That's the fewest amount of wins in all of Major League Baseball. I take it back. No, Diamondbacks have 20. Sorry. Arizona has 20. Baltimore has 21. And the Pirates have 23. So as long as Baltimore's around, as long as Arizona's around, the Pirates have a chance to not finish dead last in all of Major League Baseball. And Paul Zeiss uh, from 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh, he also writes for the the, the Pittsburgh uh, PG. He wrote a column recently about how maybe the Pirates shouldn't blow things up. That maybe there are enough pieces in place that they can actually build something. And we all understand they are in rebuild mode. We get it. We understand that it is just the way they operate. Especially recently, the past couple of years, they're just they're, they unload anybody who is unloadable. Stockpile the minor league system develop those players in the minors, bring them up, and use your homegrown talent to actually maybe win some ballgames. That's the way small market teams have to do it because they just can't compete salary-wise with the big markets. They just can't. Dodgers, Yankees, uh, Red Sox, Cubs, they can just go out and buy whoever they, they can buy whoever they want. All right? And we've gone down this road before with no salary cap. That's what happens. 
They can just throw money. The Padres did it this year. How many? Oh my! How much money did the Padres spend in the offseason? You can spend a lot of money, get the best players possible. Other teams, they, they have to develop. They have to develop. Hope you know they can catch lightning in a bottle with with, with some you know smaller, lesser name free agent signings. But there may be pieces in place here for the Pirates. And I think maybe the Orioles are kind of in the same boat. They have some good young talent, some good pieces that eventually they're going to have to stop selling everything off. Eventually, they're going to have to start trying to build, right? That is that is why it is called a rebuild. You are rebuilding the roster from the ground up. Eventually, you got you to start building, right? You, you got to stop tearing down. You got to you got to stop the demolition, and you got to start building. Orioles have they have a couple building b- blocks in place for for their foundation. Pirates are the same way. Does does Frazier still lead uh, baseball in hits? Let me check it real quick. Adam Frazier's having a career year. Which normally means, yeah, he he still he has 76 hits. He still leads Major League Baseball. And the way the Pirates and other small market teams operate, usually that means he's going to be traded in July. For, you know, two, three minor leaguers, who knows? There are a lot of teams out there in contention that could use a pretty solid Defensive second baseman who, oh, by the way, happens to lead Major League Baseball in hits. Got a great, a great looking, I don't know if it'd be great yet. He has all the earmarks of being great. A great young player in Key Brian Hayes at third. Brian Reynolds, he's coming along. He can hit the ball. Great hitter for average. Little pop in his bat. Kevin Stallings all of a sudden, not Kevin, I keep on, Kevin's his dad. Jacob Stallings, Mr. Clutch. He is actually developing late in his career or later in his career into maybe an all-star caliber catcher. There are pieces there. Orioles, you got... Mancini coming back, you know, from from the the cancer. Mancini's having a great start to the season. How old is Mancini anyway? He can't be that old. Just think, as I look through these stats, just think if the Pirates had pulled off one of the worst trades in the history of Major League Baseball. I mean, just imagine. Imagine if they had actually kept Tyler Glasnow who I gave you his numbers because he's pitching against the Nats tonight. Imagine if they had kept Austin Meadows, who is tied for the major league lead in RBI with 48. Imagine if they hadn't traded away one of their, you know, former first-round picks in Shane Baz because those are the three they sent to Tampa Bay for Chris Archer, who was there for a year and a half, and he stunk. You look as some of the former Pirates around Major League Baseball, and you imagine, just imagine what kind of team they would have. 
if they were able to take back all of the players that they shipped out over the last three, four years. But that's what happens when you rebuild. You got to tear it down before you can build it back up. Austin Meadows, Tyler Glass now, Garrett Cole, Starling Marte, Joe Musgrove. Uh, who's, I want to, his not name, is Charlie Morton. Who else? I know I'm missing Josh Bell, Josh Harrison, both playing for the Nats right now. I mean, my goodness, the list goes on and on. Orioles, same boat. I think Mountcastle's a decent player. Mancini's there. Cedric Mullins is having a fantastic season to date. There are some building blocks present. So the question comes for both and any team that's rebuilding, when do you start rebuilding? When do you stop tearing down? The problem with both teams, by the way, is pitching. The problem with the Orioles and the Pirates, both issues are on the mound. And the O's just had to send John Means to the 10-day IL with a shoulder issue. The Pirates really don't even have, I mean, get, tell me the Pirates' number one starter. Like, who's their ace? Who? They don't have one. It's certainly, certainly not Mitch Keller. They're Chad Cool. JT Brubaker? Like, who, who's the, who the, <laughs> seriously. The Pirates have, like, a bunch of number three starters in, our, in their rotation. Probably their best pitcher is Steven Brault. He's been out the entire season with an injury. After John Means, who's the, who do the Orioles have? Got to get that pitching, man. Got to get that pitching. I understand it's a you know it's a, it's a it's an offensive game. <laughs> as, I, as I sit here and I, I scroll through the leaders, here's another former Pirate, and I think it was a former National too, right? Mark Melanson, didn't he pitch for the Nats for a while? Melanson leads Major League Baseball in saves. Mark Melanson's got to be 78 years old. And he leads Major League Baseball with 19 saves. That's great. And speaking of Cedric Mullins, he's actually uh, third in Major League Baseball with 73 hits. How about that? We got a Pirate, an Oriole, and a National in the top five. Frazier leads the bigs with 76 hits. Mullins is third with 73. And Trey Turner fourth with 71. How about that? The other two guys, believe it or not, are Cincinnati Reds. Nick Cassianos and uh, Jesse Winker. Anyway, that's enough about that. We will obviously talk about those three games on tap tonight. O's, Bucks, and Nats uh, tomorrow. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, the NBA playoffs. Two games on tap. Had a game one out west. Had a game two in the east. And we'll talk about them both when we come back. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush. On Facebook at WCMD Cumberland Radio. And... We were just talking last segment about the Pirates and the Orioles 
and the rebuilds and how small market teams have to like tear things down, stockpile their minor league system, and then win that way. Win through drafting and development. And as I'm scrolling through Twitter during the break, and I retweeted this, you can check it out. Again, at WCMD Morning Rush. Colin Dunlap from uh, the morning show in Pittsburgh puts this out. And to me, this is fascinating. Current MLB standings and payroll, okay? And he lists the top two teams in each division with their ranking in payroll. And we talked about the Rays. They are in first. They're a half game ahead of the Red Sox in the AL East. And we mentioned the Rays because they're taking they're playing the Nationals tonight. So, in the AL East, the Rays are in first place. Their payroll ranks 26th in Major League Baseball. The Red Sox, their payroll is 7th. In the AL Central, first place there's the White Sox. Their payroll is 15th. In second place is Cleveland. Their payroll is 30th. How many teams in baseball? Is it 30? Are they dead, are they dead last in payroll? In the AL West, Oakland's in first place. Their payroll, 23rd. Second place, Houston, which is fourth. So, and you look at the three divisions in the American League, the top six teams in the AL right now, only two payrolls are in the top ten. In the National League, look at the NL East. The Mets are in first place. Their payroll is third in Major League Baseball. The Braves, 14th. In the Central The Brewers, their payroll, 21st in Major League Baseball. The Cubs are 12th. And this one's actually pretty stunning. In the NL West, the Giants, their payroll is 11th. The Padres, their payroll is 8th. Dodgers are in third. He doesn't even list the Dodgers. They got to be the top payroll in baseball, right? They have to be. And they're not even in the top two in the West. But again, much like in the American League, the top six teams in the NL, only two of the top ten payrolls are there. And to Colin's point, and he mentions this at the bottom here, he goes, the Pittsburgh Pirates absolutely need to spend more. But they absolutely also need to draft, scout, develop better. Amen. Hallelujah, that is 100% spot on. When you are a Pirates fan or you are a small market fan, you immediately jump to the disparity in payrolls in baseball, right? That's always the go-to, the de facto argument. Well, Oakland and Pittsburgh and Cleveland and the other small market, Tampa Bay, they can't compete. Because there's no salary cap. 
So you got all the big market teams spending all the money, and they win everything. That's not necessarily the case. You can cry poor, like Pirates fans like to do. But you still have to be better at, you know, baseball. You have to be better at drafting, scouting, and developing. Again, you want to rebuild. That means you stockpile the minor leagues, and you have to develop those players. You have to trade for the right prospects. And you have to develop those prospects in order to be successful. And Colin is, he's again, he's, he's dead on. Yeah, they need to spend more. I, I don't believe that the Pirates spend as much as they can. I don't believe these small markets, they could spend more if they wanted to. Which is why I think a salary floor is just as important as a salary cap. To force teams to spend more. But you got to be better at just baseball. Tampa Bay, the 26th ranked payroll, and, and they're in first place. And they, they, went the, they went to the World Series last year. <laughs> they were so close. If it wasn't for the bonehead decision by Kevin Cash to pull Snell, call her, hold on. If it wasn't for Cash's bonehead decision, They might have won the World Series. And it helps they can actually fleece a team like the Pirates to get guys like Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now. You got to make better trades, too. You got to make better trades. Yes, you need to spend more, but you know what? You need to be better at actually running a franchise, an organization, and be better at baseball. Let's go to the rush line, 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? Hey, Tony, this is James. How you doing? What's up, man? Hey, uh, speaking of baseball, I was noticing something Sunday, uh, and maybe you've noticed too. Maybe you could explain why this is. I was looking at different lineups Sunday, uh, the Reds with Jesse Winker and the Yankees with Aaron Judge, Baltimore, Trey Mancini, and so on and so on. A lot of these power hitters are now in the number two spot. Do you have any idea why that would be? Wow, I never noticed that. Because, like, when we were young, that was like that's the clean four guy. Yeah, that's, that's the cleanup guy. That was automatic. And then they started moving up to, like, the three guy. But now they're two. Well, let me think and, here. Now, you mentioned, okay, well, Mancini's in the American League. Who else did you mention? Uh, Judges in the American League. Jesse Winker in, in okay. for the Reds. That that's that's odd. I, I can see in the American League because you have the DH, right? And you can actually stack the bottom of your lineup a little better uh, than in the NL because you still have to you have to bat the pitcher. Yeah, I don't. That's a good question. I don't know because I, I I even looked at the Yankees and I thought maybe Stanton was fourth, but he wasn't. It was Urshela. Stanton was sixth because the conventional wisdom is always you get a, a good leadoff guy like, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Ricky Henderson, who's obviously the greatest ever leadoff guy. But you want guys to get on base in your first and second spots, and then three, four, five drives them home. But I, something I never know is I have to look into that. That's, a, that's, yeah, I, that's, that's, that's interesting. I started expanding my look, and like the Giants, they had Buster Posey at number two. And the Marlins, uh, Aguilar, he was the second batter. 
he had a home run Sunday against Pittsburgh. So it's it's like a it's more than just a coincidence that a few teams are doing it. The only thing off the top of my head that I can think of is that nobody hits for average anymore anyway, so what does it matter? Seriously. I don't, no, yeah, seriously. I don't know. Nope. I mean, but with the exception of like Adam Frazier with Pittsburgh, who I talk about a lot here, who's, who's a good, you know, he, he spreads the ball all over the field. You know, and as the baseball is, is trending towards, it has been for years, it's, it's, it's home run or bust. So does it really matter where they bat? I guess not. Because no, nobody gets on base anyway. Right. And that <laughs> might be why. I mean, I, I noticed it because of my lineups. That's something were, I, I did. I never know. I did not notice that, but that's interesting. Yeah, I think Rizzo for the Cubs is the second batter too, but he's he's got that he's got base speed too. Yeah, so yeah, that would help. But uh, yeah, Aaron Judge was the number two hitter, and I just I, I started looking at all these lineups, and it was a trend. So I don't, I, I haven't heard that note. I haven't heard that mentioned in baseball talk. Of course, when you turn on ESPN anymore, it's just NBA, and that's it. Yeah, well, that'll stop once the playoffs are over, and we'll get we'll get into right. the NBA playoffs here shortly. Right. Except, what I was going to this segment, but I got sidetracked with this uh, disparity in salaries. But, but yeah, but I'll look at that. I just I have to give it some thought during the break, and um, that's something I never noticed because you're right. Usually, power hitters are three, four, five. Yep. So, just huh. just I wanted to see if you noticed that and see what your take on it was. I did not notice it. I appreciate you bringing it up. And again, the only thing I can think of off the top is. You know, guys aren't setting the table like they used to. She might as well just put the big, you know, the big eaters up front and let them go. Yeah. Well, before I hop off, one of my players, Cedric Mullins. I just mentioned his name. Mentioned his name. He's what? He's third in the bigs and hits right now. Well, Saturday he was five for five. Sunday right. third for four with two walks. Yeah, he's having a great season so far. Well, I was having a great. I'm having a great season with him on. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> All right, dude. All right, brother. Thanks for the call, man. Yeah, man. Yep, have a good day. 301-759-2628. I, I did not notice what James brought up about power hitters hitting higher in the lineup. I did not know. I didn't notice that. I mean, I, look, I don't play fancy baseball, so I don't, I don't sit there and go through everybody's lineup. So it's nothing that was on my radar, but that's, that's a fantastic point. And again, and that, that used to be, look, if I had to – Guess analytics has got to play into it. Like that's that's it's got to be some kind of you know analytic bull that's got to play into it. Somebody somewhere crunched the numbers, pulled out the old calculator, and said, "Oh, you got a better chance of doing this if this guy bats it." It's got to be it's got to be tied to analytics. It has to because that goes against the conventional wisdom. It was always you had your table setters batting one, two. Your number three guy was kind of a, a hybrid, you know, good average hitter, hitter for average, but with a little bit of pop in his bat. And then number four and five, you know, those were your, you know, your big sluggers. It's the way it usually was. But if guys like Judge or they're batting second, didn't Winker just have a three-home run game over the weekend? I thought he did. You got these big hitters in this second. I guarantee it's got to be analytics. It has to be. It has to be. 
somebody sitting in a dark office somewhere in the deep recesses of the stadium in front of a laptop using a, a calculator and an abacus figuring out <laughs> that they're better off in the second spot. That's my guess. That's my guess. But good call, James. Thanks for the call. I'll have to look into it some more. All right. One uh, one more break, and then we will come back to wrap up our number one. Stick around. And, hey, rush line is open. Give us a call, 301-759-2628. Stick around, 102.1 FM, AM 1230 WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. You may have heard it during the break, uh, during the NFL Network Now vignette, whatever you want to call it. Wouldn't be a day if we didn't talk about Aaron Rodgers and the uh, the drama up there in Green Bay. Packers going to open up their mandatory minicamp today. I do believe it's a three-day mandatory minicamp. Aaron Rodgers, for whatever reason, we still don't we don't know. Don't know what the reason is because he won't say. Won't be there in all likelihood. Here's Adam Schefter. They've spent the offseason trying to appease him and trying to change his mind to get him to where he is comfortable and wanting to come back to Green Bay, which so far he's been unwilling to do. Now tomorrow is the start of the Packers' mandatory minicamp. And I think the expectation is that Aaron Rodgers will not be there for the start of the minicamp. And if he's not at the start of the minicamp, then he would be eligible to be fined over $93,000 under the current collective bargaining agreement. But the Green Bay Packers also could say that it's an excused absence and waive the fines, thereby not being able to fine him the money that could further inflame the situation. We'll see how it unfolds. That's how I believe it will unfold going in. But, again, tomorrow will be another day, and we'll see how it actually happens. Tomorrow, of course, being today. Why would you give him an excused absence? Like, what? Why would you do that? You know why he's not there, because he doesn't want to be there. Why would you give him an out? Why would you let him off the hook? Like, I don't understand that. Well, first of all, 93000 bucks, which to me is a lot of money. But to Aaron Rodgers is, it's a, it's a drop of water in the ocean. I mean, seriously, 93000 bucks to Aaron Rodgers is nothing. But he's, he's, this is on him. He's the one that's creating this drama. He's the one refusing to report to the mandatory minicamp. Why would you waive the fine? Why would you give him an excused absence? It's not excused. He's just staying away from the, on, on his own. This is on him. Why would you do that? Oh, well, we don't want to make him upset. So? Like, I don't get that. I don't get that. Why would you bend over backwards for this dude who who... Is, is causing all this mess.
If he does not show up today, this will be the first time in his career that Rodgers will have blown off a mandatory minicamp. I'd find him. I don't care. You want to show up? Everybody else is shut. It's mandatory. You don't show up? We're finding you. I don't care if you're mad or not. ESPN's uh, Jeff Darlington was asked yesterday what it would take to get Rodgers into Packers camp, and he, like the rest of us, <laughs> he's got no idea. I hope you don't expect me to provide too much clarity because <laughs> nobody is able yeah. right now to get into the head of Aaron Rodgers to fully understand what it's going to take. But during my conversations um, with people around the league and people who know Aaron, th- there's been this kind of belief that if Aaron Rodgers can get the type of contract that will not only make him happy this coming season with the Packers, but also the type of contract that when he inevitably winds up with another team, which in his head will ultimately be the case, uh, uh, which is obviously not that hard to believe because they signed Jordan Love and picked him with a first-round pick. If that's the case, he wants to know that wherever he winds up, he's also going to be under this solid contract. So... Uh, to me, I know a lot of people say it's not about the contract or maybe it's not about the money, but it is about the contract and the stability and the uh, ability to not put his trust in the word of the Packers at this point, but instead just to know that he is secure. If that were to happen, I think that could at least go a long way in getting him back for 2021. Then again, I hedge because I don't know. Yeah, nobody knows. Only one person knows, and that's Aaron Rodgers. And when he's asked about it, he doesn't. He's so cryptic with his answers. You have no idea. All this drama that's been created up in Green Bay, and nobody really knows why. And will probably never, if he stays in Green Bay somehow, some way, which I don't see it, we definitely won't know. We'll only know what really happened after he goes somewhere else. Like after his career is over. And he'll write some tell-all book, or he'll go on TV or and have his tell-all interview. Find him, find him, Packers! Come on, show some spine here. All right, hour number one done. Hour number two coming up. Stick around, WCMD. This is the morning rush. Hour number two underway here on WCMD, brought to you by Thomas Cumberland with locations in Bedford, Johnstown, and of course, Cumberland. Tony C. in the big chair, live from the palatial WCMD studio high atop Industrial Boulevard, at least 10 feet up on the south side of the Queen City, baby. A reminder, several ways to get involved on the show. Our Twitter pages, at WCMD Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C, that's the letter C, not the word, and on the Book of Faces, at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, get involved, drop me a line, send me a message, and we'll talk. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Come on. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page, 
on the free Podbean app. Just download the app or upload it, whatever you do. I don't know. Just get it on your phone some way. Search uh, WCMD Morning Rush. I almost said the old the old name. And you can go back and listen to whatever you missed. For instance, if you missed the last hour, which would be the first hour of the show, we talked a lot of baseball. Pirates, Nationals, Orioles. Pirates and Orioles, you know, rebuilding. There comes a point where they need to start rebuilding and not tearing down. Talked about the discrepancies in salaries in baseball and how things are kind of flipped. We ran down the first two teams in each division with their rank in payroll. And it's pretty incredible to find out a lot of low payroll teams are leading divisions in baseball. It's pretty fun to watch, actually. James called on the rush line last hour, and he brought up something I didn't notice before. A lot of big power hitters are, for some reason, hitting in the two-spot in lineups. And the only thing that I could say to that was it's got to be analytical. It has to be. Because usually power hitters are in the three, four, five spots. You had guys hit for average in the first and second spots to get on base, and then the big hitters come up and drive them home. So it's got to be analytical, plus nobody hits for average anymore, so I guess you just put them wherever. <laughs> you know, nobody gets on base. You might as well just put them up higher in the lineup to probably get them an extra at-bat later in the game. Those, those are my guesses. Analytics, plus, because James mentioned Aaron Judge batting in the number two spot with the Yankees. You bat him second. That probably gives him an extra bat late in the game when you want him at the plate. So there you go. But all that stuff. Oh, and we also talked about uh, more drama with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. All that stuff's in the first hour. Again, check it out uh, on our podcast page. All right. Uh, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. Let's start with college football, where West Virginia landed another commit for the class of 2022 in offensive lineman Maurice Hamilton. Hamilton is a three-star prospect, according to Rivals.com, at 6'4", 340. His nickname at Cleveland Heights High School in Ohio is Mr. Pancake. He also holds offers from Iowa State, Marshall, Purdue, and Kent State, among others. In the NFL, the Ravens and running back Gus Edwards agreed to a contract extension on Monday. The deal was for two years, 10 mil, which means the Ravens now have Edwards and J.K. Dobbins signed through the 2023 season. Edwards was set to become a free agent at the end of this coming season. He is one of just two players in NFL history to rush for at least 700 yards an average at least five yards a carry in each of the first three years of his career. Cleveland's Nick Chubb, the only other player to do that. In high school baseball, Brady Whitaker tossed a two-hit shutout as Frankfurt blanked Berkeley Springs 1-0 to win the AA Region 1 Section 2 Championship in short gap. Whitaker struck out seven, walked three. Tyler White drove home the only run of the game for FHS. On the Maryland side, Bryce Snyder took a no-hitter into the sixth inning as Mountain Ridge beat Fort Hill 6-0 in 
in the 1A West Region quarterfinals. Snyder allowed just one hit, struck out seven, and walked one. And the Miners only had seven hits, but scored five runs on four wild pitches and an error. Now they have a semifinal date with Northern tomorrow. In high school softball, Kaiser beat Grafton 9-1 to win the AA Region 1 Section 2 title. Golden Tornado now 27-3 on the year. And in Major League Baseball, Pirates, Orioles, Nationals all off yesterday. Buccos open a three-game series tonight at home against the Dodgers. That should go well. JT Brubaker gets the start for the Bucks, opposite uh, Walker Bueller. Orioles also at home. They will host the Mets for a two-game set. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman takes the mound for Baltimore. And the Nationals uh, kick off a two-game set with the Rays in Tampa. It'll be John Lester versus Tyler Glasnow. And, of course, catch the game right here with pregame beginning at 640. Glasnow has been really good this season. 4-2 and two record. A 2.69 ERA, which... Is pretty good. Like anything sub three is good. 2.69. You would think would be higher than 17th in all of baseball, all right? 2.69 ERA. There are there are 16 pitchers with a better ERA than that. That's amazing. Glass now 106 strikeouts, second most in Major League Baseball, and his uh whip of 0.92 is 11th in the bigs. And that is uh, your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporelli Group. Uh, News coming down yesterday that Major League Baseball is going to start cracking down on pitchers allegedly using foreign substances uh, on the ball. With more on that, as soon as I can find the right clip here, Give me a second. Here it is. Uh, Here's Buster Olney. Generally, it's because of those diminished offensive numbers we've been talking about all year. But it's interesting. A lot of the evidence that's been gathered by Major League Baseball has been players turning in other players, essentially sending in videos saying, hey, look at this cheater. And I think what's happened is a lot of position players have realized in a zero-sum game, when you have pitchers dominating, perhaps with the use of foreign substances, it comes at their expense. Now, what's going to happen is a memo is going to go out to teams sometime in the next week or so, and then umpires are going to be instructed to check pitchers, and they're going to be random and repeated checks maybe eight to ten times per game. Often, I think, when pitchers are coming off the mound at the end of an outing so they don't interfere with the pace of play. So it was a couple weeks ago, right, that the, uh, the Cardinals manager, uh, Schilt, he complained. Uh, during a a post-game presser about pitchers getting away with using substances on the baseball for a better grip, which, of course, puts more spin on the ball. And the argument is that's why offensive numbers are down. We we see all the no-hitters this year. I just talked about Tyler Glass now, his ERA of 2.69 is only 17th best in the bigs. Pitchers have dominated baseball in the first couple months of the season. Averages are down, runs are down, and I have always 
blame just the pit. The hitters aren't good anymore. They're not good anymore. They don't hit for average. It's either, you know, there are three outcomes in baseball these days. Major League Baseball. Home run, walk, or strikeout. Very few players hit for average. Very few players can spray the ball all over the field. But now comes the, you know, the complaint that the pitchers are cheating. That you know, they're using the old the old spitball, but they're using foreign substances, which is still illegal. <laughs> it's still illegal. So Major League Baseball is now saying that these pitchers will be checked repeatedly, and here's the key, randomly, under this new plan. And they want this new plan in place within the next two weeks. And that Major League Baseball is going to instruct their umpires to enforce the rule. A rule that never went away. It, it never went away. It, it's always been illegal to put a substance on the baseball to give the pitcher an advantage. But apparently, it's a big thing now. Nothing that it ever went away. There's always a way around things, right? You had guys back in the day. Who was it? Uh... Oh, who had the Emory board in his back pocket? Was it Phil Negro? Was it Negro or who? Gaylord Perry? Somebody would doctor always doctor. I can't. I'm having a senior moment. You have to excuse me. But there are pitchers who were famous for doctoring the baseball, and you really hadn't heard people talk about it all that much here recently. Now all of a sudden, it's a thing. Pitcher strikeout rates are at an all-time high. Batting averages that are an all-time low. And you have players and managers now complaining that pitchers have an unfair advantage because they are using illegal substances. And, and look, that could be anything. It could be pine tar on the bill of a cap or, you know, down the seam of the pan. It could be suntan lotion. It could be anything. It takes me back to the scene in Major League, right? With, uh, <laughs> with, uh, oh, was it Eddie? Was it Eddie Harris, a pitcher? Right? He, t- he took his jersey off in the locker room, the old veteran pitcher, and he had like all these spots on his body, like Vaseline here. <laughs> you know, anything for an advantage. Now, it's not finalized. The plans aren't in place yet. But again, uh, they want this to be in action hopefully by June 14th, which is that's next week. And running down the list here, among the final possibilities, you know, pitchers will be checked randomly by umpires, with every starting pitcher likely to be checked at least two times per start. One source estimated that there will be 8 to 10 random foreign substance checks per game. And there's also discussion about penalties now. What happens if you get busted with an illegal substance if you're doctoring a baseball? Could be suspensions. They're talking about 10 days without pay. Now, that, of course, won't 
you know, that won't fly with the uh, the Players Association. So I'm sure they'll have a say in that as well. And it says here, position players will also be subject to foreign substance checks. Although the conversations uh, are more about issuing a warning to position players. I don't know why that would even be a thing, but all right, whatever. So here you go. I mean, it's obviously been happening enough. And there's been enough complaints for Major League Baseball to just do something about it. And I'm reading this story here on ESPN. It says one game uh, in recent weeks, this source says it was so obvious that a pitcher on a certain team was cheating that players began screaming at him to stop cheating. And the feeling on the one team that was yelling that they they were so mad that they intimidated the pitcher to stop, to stop using the foreign substance. Teams say pitchers are using homemade glue, something called Pelican Grip, Spider Tech adhesive, or high volumes of pine tar. How about that? So maybe hitters aren't as bad as we thought. I mean, they're still bad. Don't get me wrong. My question is, if people are so outraged over the Astros stealing signs, shouldn't they be equally outraged over these pitchers getting an unfair advantage with the foreign substances? Cheating is cheating, right? Sure, there are different levels, and I understand the Astros, you had a World Series involved, a couple of them actually. But if the Astros were using the trash cans, banging on the trash cans and stealing signs and whatnot, and my goodness, they've been vilified for the past couple of years. Mark McGuire, you go back to the steroid era, they've been vilified, you know, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, how they've been shunned by baseball because they cheated. Look how many people can't stand the Patriots who want to put an asterisk beside Bill Belichick and Tom Brady because of Spygate and Deflategate. These pitchers should be held to the same standard. If you're caught doctoring a ball, then you're cheating, and you're cheating. I know the old saying, if you're not cheating, you ain't trying. But if you're using things like Glue. We're talking about spider tech adhesive. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds sticky. <laughs> Pelican grip. Probably got a little gorilla glue. But you can't have that. You can't have that. You can't have that in the game. Hitters are so bad now in Major League Baseball, I don't even know why you would need to doctor to you know to use a foreign substance. Just pitch. So look for it. Look for it coming to a game near you. And again, they're going to have to figure out a way, and and Buster only kind of alluded to that uh, in that clip we just played. They're going to have to figure out a way to do it that won't slow the game down. Because the last thing that we need is for baseball to be slowed down any more than it actually is.
or already is. If we're talking about, what was that number I gave you? Eight to ten? Eight to ten random checks a game? So you're looking at what? Three to five checks per team, right? Let's say on an average, five random checks per team, per pitching staff. It's going to take some time. And what do you, here's, <laughs> how are you going to check? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to pat them down? You're going to tell them to, you know, take your shirt off? Drop, you know, drop trowel? Drop your pants? How are they going to check? Because I'm guessing if you're willing to cheat, you're willing to get creative about where you put that substance. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Obviously, you have to be in a place where you can get to it, but at the same time, <laughs> it can't be visible. So how are you going to check that? How, how are you going to determine if a pitcher, now it might be easy. Like I said, it might be on the bill of a cap or the inside of a cap or right there on the inside of a jersey. You know, anybody can reach up underneath and like scratch your shoulder blade or I'm sorry, your collarbone and boom, there it is. Put it on your glove, inside. Not that I, you know, I've ever done it. I'm just saying. As far as you know. So, um, to me, I'm fascinated by that. Because I didn't realize it was that prevalent until like today. Or when I heard the news yesterday about the new rule coming up. I didn't realize that there was there were so many pitchers cheating to the point where now something has to be done about it. So I'll be really interested to see who gets busted? Because you know there's going to be somebody. There's always that one. There's always that one. I don't care what sport you're talking about. I don't care what the rule is. I don't care how illegal it is. You remember when baseball cracked down on PED use and they started suspending cats for 50 games here, 100 games there? There's always that one who thinks they can beat the system. There's always that one player who thinks that, ah, I'm not going to get caught. It's not going to happen to me. I'm too slick. I'm I'm too good at cheating. Because when Major League Baseball cracked down on PED use, eventually we had somebody get suspended. Because they thought they could they could get they could skirt around the system. They could beat the system. So I can't wait to see who gets nailed first. Because it's going to happen. It might not happen at first because pitchers will start being really, really careful. But once they pass a couple tests, once they pass a couple random checks, then they might start, it's going to happen. I can't wait. I can't wait to see who it is. Major League Baseball cracking down. On cheaters. (laughs) Cheaters never win. Although, they kind of do. Because they're cheating. That's that's usually why you do it. All right. uh, Time for a break. Weather news coming up. We come back. NBA playoff talk. The Nets. Dominant last night. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. WCMD. This 
is the morning rush. So NBA talk right now. Two games on the NBA a playoff docket last night. Game two between the Nets and Bucks in the East. Game one between the Suns and Nugs out West. Really, uh, neither game all that close. We'll start in the East with the Nets. Uh, they're looking for a 2-0 series lead over the Bucks. That game was in Brooklyn. Nets did not have James Harden, who was out with his hamstring issue. So that meant the big three was down to the big two, which was more than enough for Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving with nine points working at the top against Connaughton with five. Now with three seconds, passes to Durant, triggers a three, and buries it with a second to go in the first. Inbound to Connaughton, sees the clock expiring, launches from 60, no good. Durant and Irving combined for 22 first quarter points, P.J., 36-19 after one. The call on ESPN Radio, you heard him. 36-19, 17-point lead after the first stanza. And things would only get worse from there for Milwaukee. And here's Durant pulling from three and burying another one. P.J. Tucker didn't get out there nearly quick enough. And KD now has it up to 26 points and counting. First up, Portis. Durant just inside the arc. Buries another one. Kevin Durant up to 30 points in game number two as the Brooklyn Nets 87-64 lead on the Bucks, who've been bewildered to start this series in Brooklyn. Durant, 32 points, four boards, six assists. He was 12 for 18 from the floor, including four of six from three-point range. And, oh, yeah, there was that other guy. Middleton missed the shot. Rebound tapped out at half court to Kyrie. A couple of dribbles, turns for three, and hits that one as well. Brooklyn Nets, a 33-point crushing of the Milwaukee Bucks. 22 points, six assists for Kyrie. He was four of eight from three, 125 to 86. The final, the Nets absolutely stomped a mud hole in the Bucks to take the first two games in Brooklyn. KD and Kyrie either scored or assisted on 80 of the Nets' 125 points. After the game, Kyrie on how his team was able to roll over Milwaukee. Yeah, I just think it was our pace. Uh, we were able to get stops, able to push the ball in transition, and uh, capitalize off of a lot of opportunities uh, we had with mismatches. Uh, we just got to continue to be mature with the basketball, take care of it, um, and just continue to do our parts. Nets led by as many as 49. That's the largest lead for them in any game. In the last 25 years, they hit 21 three-pointers, which is a franchise record for a playoff game, tied for third most in any game in franchise history. Here's KD after the win. Kevin, before the series, Steve Nash said that you guys have to overcome your newness. Have you accomplished that? No. I think we still got a long ways to go. Um, This is an amazing team on the other side who I know and on their home floor, they're going to come with it. So you have to, too. And uh, we just did what we were supposed to do was win two games at home. What do you think you've learned about yourself? I mean, we, uh, you know, we play hard. We play together. You know, then good things happen for us. Tomorrow will mark two years since you initially injured your calf. I know you worked your butt off to get to this point, but did you ever think you'd be this good? Is that a real question? 
Of course. I mean, yeah. what, what you want me to say to that? Of course well, I, I mean, did. It's pretty impressive what you've been able to do. Thank you. I appreciate that. But, I mean, that was two years ago. I'm looking forward to just getting up tomorrow and going to practice, watching film, and, and, uh, and seeing how we can get better. But, you know, I appreciate that. But, you know, that was, that was too long ago. All right. So that question could be asked a little bit differently. It could have been worse. I know what he was trying to say. He was trying to he was trying to ask him, do you think you'd be able to, you know, come back as well as you have from the injury? Of course Katie thought he was going to be good. But I what he was trying to ask was, did you think after two years, that calf injury, that you'd be able to get back to this level? Boy, he could have he could have asked that better. So I understand KD's uh <laughs> his reaction to the question. Uh Milwaukee put four starters in double figs. But nobody scored more than 18, and that was Giannis. He also had 11 boards. Chris Middleton had 17, but he shot 7 of 20 from the floor. So uh, to put a cap on the game, the guys who called it on ESPN Radio, Mark Kessischer and P.J. Carlissimo. What an impressive win for the Brooklyn Nets. At the start of the broadcast, P.J., we figured Milwaukee's got to bounce back. They didn't shoot it well in game one. They had the week off. James Harden went out. You know, things got mixed up. Credit to the others for the Brooklyn Nets. But Milwaukee got off to a terrible start. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving were brilliant early. And this was a wire-to-wire, colossal Game 2 win for the Nets. Yeah, we didn't exactly have the bounce back correctly. Uh, the one thing we did have correct was that Bucks had to do a better job guarding the three-point line and had to do a better job shooting threes. They did neither. So for the second time, they got... Just blitzed on the three-point line, 21-8 to in favor of the Brooklyn Nets. Three-point field goals made. I mean, the numbers are just disgusting for two games. They're averaging 120 points. They're giving up just over 96 points. This is a, spirit, a series that was supposed to be a competitive, entertaining series. Uh, it has been neither so far. Kevin Durant uh, always looks easy when he's scoring 32 points. Kyrie Irving also the same way. It was not a good Milwaukee defense in the first half. We saw some signs in the third quarter, but they took advantage of a soft defense in the first two quarters. Yeah, they did. The quality of their looks, I mean, you're talking an excellent, just pure shooting the ball team. Uh, Brooklyn is number one in field goal percentage, number two in three-point percentage, number six in free throw percentage. They shoot the ball well, so you can't let them have good looks. Their offensive execution has been superb. They got a lot of wide-open looks. They're scoring in the paint. They're getting open threes, relatively open threes. They're just too talented. And so far, Milwaukee has had no answer for KD or Kyrie. Not that anybody does, but it looks like they're getting their points a little too easily. It's obviously not the intent, but that's the way it looks so far. Getting home, big difference for Milwaukee for sure. But, I mean, they just have to play a lot better on the defensive end. That will help them because it will get them going downhill. It will get some transition baskets, which they haven't had. It will get them some better looks at three. Their looks at three have not been good. They've been contested very well. We're talking rightfully so about how good Brooklyn is offensively. We're not talking about how overpowering they've been on the defensive end of the floor. Well, they just held the Bucks to 86 points, the fewest Milwaukee has scored in the past two years, regular season and postseason, and this Nets 39-point win, uh, the largest in their playoff history. There we go. Game three is Thursday. In Milwaukee, Bucks beat the Nets twice in May 
when Harden was out with that hamstring issue. And uh, last night, Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News was on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons, and he said the Nets can win this series even if Harden doesn't come back. I agree uh, because when you look just at the way this roster is constructed, I mean, at the beginning of the season, even if you don't trade for James Harden, you've still got Karis LeVert, you've still got Jared Allen, you've still got a lot of key pieces around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, right? right. And those are your two main guys. Uh, and I've said it all year long. You know, yes, James Harden had an incredible stretch since he got to Brooklyn and he deserved all those MVP uh, honors or, or chance that he was getting. And if he doesn't get hurt, I think maybe he really has a horse in the race. But Kevin Durant is the MVP of this Nets team. And that's because he is reducing every single defender to ash. I mean, he pulls up on Giannis, hits him with a crossover, has Giannis looking like LeBron James in the, in the, doing the salsa real quick. And then he pulls up and gets the and one. I mean, there's literally nothing you can do to stop that. Uh, Winfield told the fellas that uh, there was one team that he thought could give the Nets a run for their money in the playoffs. And it was a team that just got killed by 39 last night. It was going to be the Milwaukee Bucks. It was going to be a team that's going to beat you down in the paint. It's going to be a team that can hit some threes. It's going to be a team that can really just bully their way to the basket where the Nets have had trouble, A, cleaning up the glass, B, protecting the rim all season. Well, if the Bucks can't do it, you know, and as I wrote in my column for the New York Daily News, if not you, then who? Because, I mean, the Sixers don't know what Joel Embiid's health status is going to look like the West. I mean, LeBron James is out of there, so that's, that's up for grabs. And you've got a Brooklyn team that just hung, well, they beat the Bucks by 39 tonight. I mean, they're playing defense, they're moving the ball, they're hitting shots, they're, they're playing selflessly, they're crashing the boards. I mean, this, this was a almost a picture-perfect performance here from the Nets, and it, it really begs the question, if the Bucks can't put up a fight, then, I mean, who else in the NBA can? And speaking of the Bucks, remember they flamed out in the second round last year. They lost in five games to the Heat. What if they don't make this a series? What if they get bounced in five games or even worse, get swept? Would that bring about major changes in Milwaukee? For sure. They're not only going to be looking for a new head coach, they're going to be looking for a new co-star. If Chris Middleton doesn't find his shot, I mean, he missed his first seven tonight, uh, and then after that he shoots six of seven from there. Um, but, I mean, game one, six of 23, and then they come out tonight. If he if he doesn't miss all seven of his first shots, then maybe the, the Bucks don't fall down 20 early on, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of questions that are going to be surrounding this Milwaukee team if they don't turn it around. Now, granted, that's a big if. You have to go win in Milwaukee. That crowd is vicious. Right, and we always talk about it's not a series until somebody loses at home. Brooklyn done what they, Brooklyn done? Brooklyn done what they had to do. Winning their first two games at home, now it's Milwaukee's turn to hold serve at home. If the Nets can win one of the two Milwaukee series is over. So again, Game 3 is Thursday in Milwaukee. Game 1 of the Western Conference semifinals in Phoenix last night. Suns hosted the Nuggets. Suns trailed for most of the first half. They were down by 10, 70-60 in the third quarter when the old man... Uh, took over for Phoenix. Paul has the big man on him, Millsap, but he puts up a three. Shazam! Is Paul taking over? When you're going good, you're going good. The call on Arizona Sports 98.7 CP3, looking like the Chris Paul of old, 21 points, 11 assists, to lead the Suns to a 122-105 win to take that 1-0 series lead. Uh, CP3, just the third player in NBA history, 
36 years of age or older to have at least 20 points and 10 assists in a playoff game. Steve Nash and John Stockton were the other two. Here's Suns head coach Monty Williams on the play of his 11-time All-Star veteran. I mean, Chris has been in those moments so many times. I don't think uh, not making shots is going to rattle him. I think he's more concerned with managing the game uh, than he is, you know, his shooting percentage. And in those moments, uh, I thought we did a good job of spacing so he had room to operate, and then he just he made some big shots. And, you know, that's who he is, um, whether it's facilitating and getting the ball to guys where they need it or in those moments being able to knock down a shot. But I, don't, I think he's more concerned with the management of the game. I don't think he really cares about his shooting percentage. He doesn't want to turn the ball over, and he wants to make sure he manages the game well. Suns went on a 34-9 run in the second half to really just blow things open. For the Nugs, not the way they wanted to start the second round. The Joker, Nikola Jokic, only 22 points. Here's head coach Michael, don't call me Mike Malone. I just told that group, this game to me was eerily similar to game one against Portland. Uh, I think we had way too many breakdowns tonight uh, from a coverage standpoint. Uh, I think seven of their 13 threes they made were from the corners, uh, and a lot of that was missed assignments, not communicating. Uh, we gave up eight and ones tonight. I think uh, had a soft mentality. You can't give up eight and ones uh, in a playoff game. If you're going to foul somebody, foul them uh, and not let them get the end one. Uh, 22 transition points. The turnover was obviously 12, but for 18 points. So we did some good things. Obviously, we were unable to sustain it for 48 minutes, and. Um, you know, we all, we all collectively have to be a lot better, a lot more physical, and a lot more disciplined come game two on Wednesday night. So there you go. He actually stole my line. Game two <laughs> is Wednesday night in Phoenix. There were two Stanley Cup playoff games last night. And we'll talk about that next. And then we'll wrap things up. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Wrapping things up on this Tuesday morning. Tony C. in the big chair. Just got done wrapping up, uh, breaking down, looking back at uh, last night's two games in the NBA playoffs. There were two games... In the Stanley Cup playoffs, could Montreal, the Canadiens, Le Habitant, could they complete the sweep of the Jets? Pelibut heads to Foley coming. Pass picked off on the board by Suzuki. Tried to center it. Pullman blocked it. They both swat at that loose puck now. Caulfield gets it loose up front. The call on TSN 690, Tyler Toffoli, the overtime winner. The Canadiens beat the Jets. And they move on to, I guess there's no conferences now because the way things were moved around. So that's why it's the Stanley Cup semifinals. But they move on. I guess you want to call it the Final Four. They beat Winnipeg 3-2. to They sweep the series. 
And Montreal hasn't lost a game. They fell behind to Toronto three games to one. And they haven't lost since. They've won seven straight games. They complete the sweep, and here's the kicker. They are the 19th team in NHL history to sweep a series four games to none and never trail the entire series. That's amazing. It's only happened 19 19 times. They never trailed in the four games against Winnipeg, ever. So they move on, and they will face the winner of the uh, Colorado-Vegas series. The other game last night, as soon as I can find the clip here. Oh, my goodness. Where's my cursor? Here it is. Islanders at the Bruins. That series tied uh, at two games apiece. Somebody had to win the pivotal game five. Barzell looks it over carefully now, trying to take advantage of Foyle. Goes left circle for Everly's try. He scores! Third power play goal of the game for the Islanders. And Jordan Everly has given New York their first two-goal lead of the night. It is 4-2 Islanders! Look, I don't know who that guy is, but that goal call, it just it it's like nails on a chalkboard. To me, it really is. The call on the Islanders radio network, Isles win 5-4. to four. They do take a three-games-to-two series lead over the Bruins, a chance to close things out on the island in game six. You heard the man mention three power play goals for the Islanders last night. They have six power play goals in the series. Something that's kind of, you know, caught the attention of Boston head coach Bruce Cassidy, who did not hold back last night. Kind of, he, he went after the officiating, saying that the Islanders have pretty much fooled the referees into believing that they you know, don't commit penalties. Now, I will say to Coach Cassidy, get your penalty kill better. But he has a point. And this is what he said after the game. He says, we're playing a team that has a very well-respected management and coaching staff. But I think they sell a narrative over there that is more like the New York Saints, not the New York Islanders. They play hard and they play the right way. But I feel we are the same way. And the exact calls that get called on us do not get called on them, and I don't know why. End quote. Boston called for four penalties last night again. Islanders scored on three of those power plays. And they took advantage of it. Again, get your penalty kill better. Get your PK better. And I think what this is, is a coach that's desperate now because his team's down three games to two. He knows he has to go into New York to win, to keep the series alive, to keep the season alive. So he's trying to buy a couple couple calls for next game. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get a call. He's making the officials aware. He's making it known that he thinks that they're not calling it an even series. Whether he believes it or not, is that's not the point. He's trying to plant the seed in the officials' heads that, hey, you guys are giving the Islanders more calls. You need to even it up, particularly in this next game, or else our season's over. So we'll see what happens. Not the first time a coach has done that, won't be the last. 
There are uh, two games on tap tonight. Tampa Bay, a chance to close out the uh, Hurricanes, that game in Carolina. Uh, Lightning lead that series three games to one. And in Colorado, a pivotal game five. As the Avalanche hosts the uh, the Knights, that series tied two games apiece, uh, each team holding serve on home ice. So Colorado trying to keep that alive and win on home ice and win again that uh, pivotal uh, game five. And we'll talk about all this stuff uh, tomorrow, as you can imagine. Reminder tonight, the, uh, the Nats open a two-game series against the Rays in Tampa. Catch the game right here. On this very station, uh, pregame at 640. First pitch around uh, 705. Again, it'll be John Lester versus uh, Tyler Glasnow. So, uh, good luck, Nats, <laughs> against Glasnow. Going to be a whole lot of strikeouts in that game. Let me just, I'll make that call. I know it's, it's a stretch going out on a limb, but there will be a lot of strikeouts. We'll see if the Nats can get the victory, again, against the uh, the first-place race. Uh, stick around. Coming up next, Amanda Mangan. Uh, she will take over in the big chair for two hours of Tri-State today. She's coming up next. I'm going across the hall to, I don't know, probably eat something. And I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. Tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I'm hungry, and I'm done. See ya!